bam boom explosive entrance that was a lot more high energy than my last entrance that i deleted and now i'm jumping right back into it i'm back with a new episode of novelty drive it's been a long time since i've posted it was a long time since i could get an interview it is what it is i'm still learning whatever i wanted to say before anything that if for whatever reason if you're out camping, maybe you're with a friend, but maybe you're alone. And maybe you're laying in the tent and you can see through a window right now. And you see the moon and it's glowing bright. And it, at, at, in, in some sense, it eases you and it makes you feel happy and whole and, and, and glad to be out in nature where no one is around. But on the other sense, when you look at that moon, maybe you feel a little alone, a little uncertain of what lies out in the brush beyond your eyesight. Maybe you've heard strange sticks snapping. Maybe... You just realized that you left your machete or your axe out by the campfire instead of bringing it in to the comfort of your tent. Maybe you heard on the news that there's a escaped prisoner running around the area of the woods. Maybe it's just now clicking into your mind. But maybe not. Maybe you're just... One of my friends that happens to listen to this podcast. Maybe you're Bruce Wozniak, who, by the way, is my guest on the podcast today. Bruce Wozniak was um, really great for me to talk to. He he has a kind of very mm, humble efficiency about him in the way that he gets things done which um, I admired a lot from our conversation. He posts his own podcast quite regularly. Oof, I just had quite the popping pee shooting my levels up into the yellow. I'm going to have to throw some compression or cut that out or something. <laughs> anyway, Bruce um, owns a company called Now Hear This. He... Um, kind of works with artists and develops publicity plans and just kind of figures out what they need to do to um, take their career in the next direction. I mean, musical artists, entertainers, um, that kind of thing. He, in addition to his company that he is the president and founder of, he runs the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast, which is a weekly podcast to educate and entertain where he actually talks to some of the artists that he works with, um, bigger artists, smaller artists, other people involved in the world. Um, just a really consistent, solid podcast filled with um, all kinds of awesome little tidbits and pieces of information that a person can kind of use to um, paint a picture of you kind of kind of the steps that they could take. It it it, it has a uh, it's a it's it's an entertaining podcast to listen to, but there's a very um, feel about you get to learn something from it that that you can then apply to your own uh, experience, which is 
really great, I think. Um, he was kind enough to invite me into his home, and we sat down and talked for a long time. And the thing that really struck me is that he comes out with a podcast every week like clockwork. And he has for years now. I think they just had like their fifth year uh, celebration or whatever. So as a new podcaster, I thought that going into this interview, um, I could really glean a lot from him about exactly what it takes to be a good podcaster, how to move forward, what are, what's kind of his process, what can I take from him and apply to myself kind of thing. Um, so I really loved this conversation. I learned a lot from it. Part of the whole thing with Novelty Drive is that I want to share what I'm learning about the actual process of starting a podcast. So in that vein, Bruce was um, a great person for me to talk to. Um, I hope you enjoy this interview. If you want to hear more from him, uh, you can find his website for his podcast at www.nhte, as in now here, this entertainment.net. Um, look it up under the podcast app, Google his name, all that stuff. Uh, I'll have links in the description. Uh, without any further ado, here is Bruce Mother Lovin' Warzniak, the. Uh, some alliterative term for the alliterative sherm. Nailed it. Peace. Man, that turned into like super, <sighs> like disc jockey radio DJ. Wasn't a fan. Anyway, here's Bruce Wozniak. Enjoy. All right, I just finished my intro, most likely. I'm sitting here in the home and podcast studio of Bruce Wozniak. One thing that's happened um, in every episode of my podcast so far is that the person that I'm interviewing has assisted in production to some capacity. Dustin Marshall ended up using his... Um, own zoom recorder to record us because my equipment was failing craig cop let us use the wmnf tampa equipment mountain hauler i had forgotten a cord when i got to his house so we actually recorded on his laptop and now bruce is letting us letting me use uh his own little setup here at home which is a great trend to continue. I'm kind of excited about it. So thank you, Bruce. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for being here. Sure, sure. Thanks for asking me to do it. Yeah. Um, my dad actually put me in contact with you. And uh, I looked, I've looked. i been looking into you uh, lately. You are the president of Now Hear This Entertainment. Can you just tell me a little bit about uh, that business? Well, there's two different aspects of the business. So the company is called Now Hear This Incorporated, which I just call it Now Hear This, which was founded on management, promotion, and booking of independent artists, musicians, 
and then over time started to branch out into non-music clients. So really sort of doing like publicist services for authors, for small businesses, for I had an, an Olympic athlete client at one point, and then I wanted to launch a podcast to serve as a way to promote the business, just like I would with social media or advertising or anything else. And for anyone out there that's listening that wants to start a podcast, just look up the name before you launch it, because <laughs> I wanted to call my podcast Now Hear This, because I thought, well, my business is called Now Hear This, so I'll just call the podcast that. And I don't really think it's brain science, Lee. I mean, you just go on iTunes or yeah. you go on Google. So that's what I did. I went on iTunes and I typed in Now Hear This, and somebody already had a podcast called that. So I thought, well, I'm going to be interviewing people that are having success in entertainment, mm -hmm. primarily music. So what if I just called it Now Hear This Entertainment? That was available, and <laughs> that's how I named it. So I have Now Hear This as my business, as my company, uh, and then Now Hear This Entertainment, the podcast, is one of the different things that falls underneath that company. Okay. One of the... So you said one of the things you do is kind of like uh, publicist packages and like PR type stuff for your clients. Do they, do your clients ever want to start podcasts in like support of their, their own endeavors? There's a newer client of mine who came to me because she found out that I did podcasting. I actually do another podcast also. And she said, I want to start a podcast. I, I and she went, she did it backwards. She said, I want to hire you to let me come and record my podcast and you can edit it and do all that stuff for me. She said, because I tried to do one once before and no, it's bad. I, I, I really don't even like that. It's still out there. And so we got started doing that and she's been coming here every month and batch recording as we call it, where she'll do, you know, say four or five, six episodes at once and then come back a month later and do some more. And about a month or so into it, she said, I also want to talk to you about your publicist services because she had just mm -hmm. written a book and, you know, she does have a small business and she's a speaker and all that kind of thing. So um, that was kind of funny that it went in reverse order. But I have a couple other people that are about to come on board, but they are only coming to me to do podcasting. So I haven't really seen clients say, let me also start a podcast right. with you. But I'm sure you're on to something and I'm sure it's just a matter of time mm -hmm. before it goes that way, too. Um, so one of the, like Tampa seems like an interesting choice of a city to, to pursue, um, I guess the entertainment industry, uh, it might not be the first city that pops into people's minds. Can you, can you tell me a little bit how you settled in Tampa or, or if maybe the, uh, why the preconceived notion that you have to be in somewhere like Seattle or Los Angeles or New York or something to, to make it in the music industry might not be the case. It's funny that you said that because there's a songwriters festival that I've been going to every year in the Florida panhandle for, I think the last nine years now. And there's a guy who I had met there in the early going and he asked me, so what else do you do? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, what's your day job? And I looked at him and I said, how do you know that this, that now hear this, isn't my day job? And he said, well, because you're based in Tampa. And I kind of looked at him and he said, if 
you were doing this full time, meaning now hear this, you'd probably be at least in Orlando, you know, <laughs> never mind Nashville or someplace right. like that. So I thought, wow, okay, that's interesting. And, and I thought, I wonder if that's something that I'm going to run up against where people are going to, I don't want to say judge me, but maybe not take me as seriously because I'm not in Nashville, New York, mm -hmm. or LA. And the fact of the matter was that I had moved to, as I like to call it, the greater Tampa Bay area in April of 2002. I was living in Jacksonville for a year and a half before that. And so when I settled here, I was in a nine to five job where they just happened to need a national anthem singer for something. And every Sunday in church, there was this girl's voice that I was hearing that I really liked. And I really thought other people needed to hear her. She was that good. And so one Sunday before I left church, I approached her and said, you know, you're really good. Do you sing outside of church at all? And she said, yeah, I do from time to time. And I said, well, I think more more people need to hear you. I'd love to help you in some way. And right away she got defensive and, you know, oh, thank you. But no, that's mm -hmm. all right. And I said, well, you know, I've got the background. My whole professional career I've done communications, you know, which I define to be public relations, media relations, marketing, the web, social media. And I said, so I'd love to, you know, help you out with some promotion. And she said, no, my dad does all of that. Thank you, though. And so what I later realized was she thought that I was trying to make a sale with her, mm -hmm. whereas I was just volunteering. I just thought this girl's really good and more people need to hear her. I'd love to hear her sing some stuff outside of church. And so eventually, as things kind of got to a point where, okay, it turns out this guy doesn't want to be paid. You know, the dad was a realtor. So what did he know yeah. about communications or promotion or entertainment or anything like that? And... Because I started, they well, maybe you could help with this. Well, maybe you could help with that. And I started to show some results for them. I kind of turned it back on myself and thought, I might actually be able to make a business out of this. This mm -hmm. is kind of fun. And so that's kind of how Now Here This was launched. But, you know, when you talk about location, there are a lot of people that I will meet that will say, where are you based? And more times than not, I will, I will say... It's really irrelevant where I'm based. I go wherever I need to be right. or wherever my clients are. And in fact, I have a, a client in Hollywood. I have another one in Austin, Texas. You know, I've worked with people in lots and lots of different markets. Obviously, yes, here in Tampa, but I don't really, I'm really proud of living in Tampa Bay. I love, love, love living here to the point where sometimes people say you should work for the Visitors Bureau, mm -hmm. the Convention Visitor Bureau, because you love living here so much. But I don't really make that the focal point because it's not about where I'm based or if I have local clients. I mean, every client is different. And I could have a client here in Tampa Bay that is perfectly content just performing and working in Tampa Bay. And I can have another client here that could say, yeah, I want to go all around and, you know, be, I don't want to say nationwide, but I'm not limiting myself to just being local. Right. So... You know, the whole location thing is an interesting topic because in this day and age, you really can be everywhere. Right. And I don't just mean by way of airplanes, but, you know, with where technology has come to, it's so easy to reach people all over the world, not to mention all over the U.S. So you can have clients in other markets and, you know, sometimes not even see them at all, if, right. if not once a year or twice a year. 
Yeah, it's funny. Even so, this will be my fourth episode of this podcast. I know you've done over 200 now, 300 maybe? Uh, 261 as okay. of today. 261, nice. <laughs> um, but... Like, I, I looked at the analytics of my other three episodes, and of course all of them are, like, people that I know in Tampa area, so, like, that little area of, of the map is colored in. And then there's one in Norway and one in Finland or something, and it's, like, that that's just kind of an eye-opening moment where you know, as soon as, as soon as the content's out there, people could potentially stumble upon it. Do you ever, do you ever get, like, um... The kind of realization that, oh, man, there's so many people that I don't know potentially listening to my voice. It's funny that you brought that up because I talked a couple minutes ago about when I was in our nation's capital in November and I was doing the closing keynote at DC PodFest. And the title of my talk really was kind of centered around the whole concept of what we do matters. That was the title of my talk, What We Do Matters. And I mentioned that. I said, when I look at my listenership and, you know, people are going to go, wow, when they hear this. But understand that Lee just told you, I've done 261 episodes. It's We're coming up on uh, in about nine days from the day that Lee and I are recording this. It's going to be um, a new episode has been delivered on time every week for five years. Wow. So I'm about to hit my five-year anniversary. So when you hear me say that I've gotten listeners from 141 countries around the world, you go, oh my gosh, 141 countries, how did he do that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've done it for five years. But so what I was saying in my talk about what we do matters is I do look at those and I say, oh my gosh, somebody in, I'll pick an African country, for example, you know, in Cameroon, mm -hmm. listened to my podcast and I think, my podcast is, you know, 45, 50, 55, sometimes 60 minutes long. And I think somebody in Cameroon gave up an hour of their day to listen to me. And I think, you know, it matters that that yeah. person gave up their time. I owe them something. And so it really does kind of make me stop and say, wow, out of all the podcasts out there, they chose mine. I hope that they like it and they'll come back. But even that, even that they just chose that one episode. And, and mind you, I realize, I admit, I'm fine with the fact that they may have only chosen that episode because of who the guest was. Mm -hmm. But it still impacts me in such a way that I think, wow, they don't know who I am, presumably. And to go ahead and give me that opportunity to be in their ears for that long, it, it does. And, and I think it's a part of what keeps me coming back every week. Because, you know, we have as podcasters this, I'm holding up air quotes, this verbal contract with our listeners where you're telling them, I'm going to give you a new episode every Wednesday morning in the case of now hear this entertainment. So if I tell them I'm going to be there every Wednesday morning, I have to be there every Wednesday mm -hmm. morning. So the guy in Cameroon or the guy in Malaysia or the girl in Finland, wherever they are, they know this guy's going to give me a new episode. And so I have to show up because I told them I would. Right. Okay. That, that makes my mind work in two different directions. So I'll just go one at a time, I guess, if I can keep them in my head. The first one is you mentioned it could just be a guest or something that, that would spark someone in Cameroon to listen, to listen to your podcast. But also there has to be some kind of uh, relatability that 
between your show and the listenership that um, that causes them to to stick around and want to listen to it. What what do you think is like that grain of truth or that or that relatability that you might be transferring to to someone uh, whose circumstances might be so vastly different? Well, a couple things for openers. My business brain shifts to the strategy that I use first, which is if someone is just coming to one episode because they want to listen to that guest, I get that. And quite frankly, I have to say, and I don't really like to do this publicly, but when a guest doesn't promote that they were on my podcast, Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder why not. Because if you have fans, if you have followers you want them to be as closely connected to you as you can. So you would want to let them know, I thought, (laughs) that I was interviewed on this podcast. Here's the link. You can go listen to it. And some of them will do really good. And they'll say, I talked about this. I talked about this. I talked about this, which is great. So as a fan, you want to go and listen to that. So then what I do as the host, as someone that is trying to connect with the listeners, is... I do this thing where when a guest set and mind you, this also helps me become a better interviewer because I stayed really dialed in with everything that they're saying so I can react so I can ask follow up questions if necessary, but also because I want to listen and say, wow, it's interesting that you brought that up because back on episode 205, when I interviewed Roy Mm. Orbison Jr., he made a similar case and he told me that X, Y, Z, and then I'll say, listeners, if you never heard that one, go back and listen to episode 205 with Roy Orbison Jr. So what happens then, Lee, is they go to episode 205 to listen to me interview Roy Orbison Jr., and then on that one, they hear me saying, reference. boy, that's a lot like the conversation yeah. that I had with Katie Bell back on episode 175. Listeners, if you never heard episode 175, so then they go, they started off listening to the initial guest that they came for. Then they go to 205 with Roy. Then they go to 175 with Katie, and I'm sending them all around. And pretty soon they're realizing, I like this guy. It's kind of, they're not making a conscious decision. They're just realizing that. He referred me to this episode. I went and listened to it, and I liked it. And mm-hmm. he referred me to another one, and I listened to it, and I liked it. So little do they realize, now they like me. Now they like the show. It's not so much that first guess that they came for. And then the other side of your question in terms of you know what is that relatability is I think because I'm interviewing guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music, but not the Bruce Springsteens of the world, not the Katy Perrys, not the John Bon Jovis. They are people who are relatable. Because, yes, they are people who have been on shows like American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent. But those people are the average guy or gal who are slugging it out in the clubs on a Friday night and deciding, hey, this might be my big break. So when they hear me talking to these people, they can sort of relate. And if they themselves are musicians they can say, all right, you know what? I think I can do that too because what I do, since I know those are the people that are listening, is I will ask a lot of how-to questions. So I will say, well, that's great that you got your song placed in film or television, but how did you do that? And some of them don't get the question initially. They'll just go, oh, yeah, it was really great. I was really fortunate to have that happen. And I'll say, I'm sure you were, but how did it happen? (laughs) Did you use an agency? Do you know somebody? You know, And I'll walk them through it, and they finally realize... Oh, he actually wants me to give nuts and bolts. So I think that makes it relatable for the listener because the listener says, oh, I've always wondered how I could get my YouTube videos to be 
on a Vivo channel mm -hmm. and a guest will talk about it. So they say, all right, I can actually try that myself. Yeah. And actually I, I was looking through the list of clients that you service on the now hear this website. And the first one I typed, I wish I could remember her name. It's so bad that I don't, but I just copy pasted her name and a Vivo video popped up on YouTube. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's actually pretty impressive. That was, that was cool. I'm always, I'm into, I'm into that. <laughs> um, I was, Man, I had another train of thought. You you were talking about the quality of your guests referencing. Okay, so another huge an, an aspect that's in the center of my podcast launching is like the kind of just documenting the process, things I've learned as I've gone. Like I had no idea that I would need to secure like internet hosting and then get my show approved on different you know streaming services and stuff like that. You obviously being more than 250 episodes in regularly for the last five years have come across um, these kind of potential obstacles and stuff as they've happened to you. Um, so one of my big interests in talking to you is exactly what you just were talking about. How, how did you get this far? How did you, how did, how did you, um, you know, get, get your podcast in, the hundred plus countries across the world and everything like that. Does it, does it just come down to a consistent workflow or, or ha have there been other lessons that you've learned along the way? Well, there's several things. One of them, yes, is a consistent workflow. One of them, as I said before, is just showing up every week because there's a term in the podcasting industry of pod fading where some podcasters just get to a point where they're just burned out and all of a sudden, what they told you was going to be a weekly show is all of a sudden every other week, and mm -hmm. then it's once a month, and then they just disappear. And I've just, I also think it's just who I am as a person. I'm just really cut out as, I don't want to say a workaholic, but very, very dedicated to what I do. And I enjoy it. But that being said, on the business side, I am also a promoter. My entire professional career has been in public relations. So, I'm not shy about talking up my podcast to anyone that will listen. Right. And I'll go to meetings, I'll go to conferences, and I'll be wearing a shirt that has my podcast logo on the front and the website address on the back. And I have my own business cards for now, hear this, but then I have separate business cards just for the podcast. And so when you become a podcaster, you also then become someone who can say, not only am I Bruce Wozniak, the owner of Now Hear This Incorporated, but I also have a podcast. So eventually what happens is you say, what can I do beyond that so that I can become a speaker? And then when you're a speaker, now you meet more people. Now you have an opportunity to plug your podcast. I launched an ebook series out of my podcast because I realized I'm giving out this tip in the middle of every episode every week. And now I'm 261 episodes in. If someone just found it now and said, I really like this tip that he gives out in the middle of each episode every week, they're going to say, but I'm not about to go all the way back to episode one and start all over again and listen to every single one just to see where in the episode did he give it out? What did he say? And then write it down. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if I just package those up in eBooks, then they're easy, especially for if you want to use it as a workbook or if you're on site, you're about to go on for your gig, you want to look something up real quick. What advice did he give about actually being on stage? And so my point of all this is now I'm Bruce Wozniak, the business owner, the podcaster, the author. There's four volumes in my ebook series. And so now you become a speaker. 
because people want to hear you speak either about the music industry or about podcasting. And so it's just that much more exposure that the show is getting. And then, of course, I do traditional things, you know, such as trying to get interviewed on podcasts, on TV shows, and anywhere that will have me. So the other thing is that because mine is a music podcast, everybody keeps talking about one of these days we're going to wake up and SoundCloud is going to be gone. But they've been saying that for a couple of years and SoundCloud is still there. And SoundCloud has helped me get thousands and thousands and thousands of listens right. around the world. And so it's really a case of knowing where does your audience hang out online? Where do they congregate? So do you go into a Facebook group and contribute to the group and not just hit everyone over the head just promoting your show all the time? But in my case, I know that musicians hang out on SoundCloud and SoundCloud has a really robust tagging system on there. So if you're searching for something that's going to bring up one of the episodes of my podcast, now you're in that funnel again that I talked about where you listen to the one and I refer you around. So that's really helped. You know, one thing that I learned, I'm going to say, I guess I, guess I would say one thing I learned the hard way was that when I first launched it, I didn't sign up with a podcast hosting company. My web developer said, I can just build it into your website for you. I can oh, just cool. build the, the XML feed. Everyone usually talks about an RSS feed, but mm -hmm. it's for all intents and purposes, the same thing. And so he built this XML feed into my website and I ended up subscribing to the theory of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think in hindsight, I probably should have gone with a traditional podcast hosting company and as well as my show has done, there are warnings out there that I do get worried about from time to time where people say, if your show really, really, really blows up, like overnight success kind of thing, your your whole website will probably go down. And, and that does worry me. But 261 episodes in, I'm also rather intimidated by trying to migrate all of that right. over into a traditional podcast host and then what does that do to my website how long does it take to it, it's just yeah <laughs> it's a it's a big it's a big project but so I, I i went a long way but i i think and i hope i answered your question in terms of you know how do i get it out there because it is a lot of work and i think like anything else you're going to get out of it what you put into it so if you just launch a podcast and say well there it is it's on itunes you know one of the presentations that I've been successful with that I that I do at different podcasting events is called 20 plus ways to promote your podcast and I always open up that presentation by saying that I fear that podcasters are adopting the field of dreams mentality which is build it and they will come meaning they launch a podcast they put it up on iTunes and then they sit back and put their feet up on the desk and go okay it's on iTunes so people are going to find it now not really yeah I don't um just I was, when I first was toying with the idea of starting a podcast, I was talking to different people and I was like, maybe I'll just try to make it a live show, like go to a venue and I'll call it Novelty Drive Podcast of Dreams. If you host it, they will come. And luckily <laughs> someone was like, that's a dumb idea. That's not going to work. But so Novelty funny Drive that you just Broadcasting said that. Live. Yeah. Um, one of the things you said was your your little it's Bruce's bonus that you were referring to right in the middle of your yep. podcast with a tip. And actually, as I was listening through, I was like, man, it would probably be worth it to go through and grab all these audio snippets out of these podcasts to listen to it. So it's, I, I think that's a good idea that you're uh, compiling them all, like you said. Another interesting facet 
um, of you as a person that's that I find interesting anyway is that so you started you started kind of as the man behind the performer helping them you know promote themselves or get shows and everything like that and then you start your podcast to promote your business and then that podcast kind of I think takes on a life of its own and you get into it for its own sake and then you become a speaker in places and you have your audio book out. So now you're a performer and an artist. Um, has that been a weird transition to go from like behind the scenes to your own, your own, like being the artist essentially? It, it definitely has been weird and I'm humble by nature. So it's difficult for me to do it. And I more times than not nine times out of 10, I don't see myself that way. If, if this makes any sense, I see it more as this isn't me being an artist. This is just me having to promote this show. This is just me having to promote my eBooks. This is just me having to get myself booked as a speaker because I have something to say that can help educate these audiences that, yes, I hope will then convert into listeners, which will convert into people downloading and buying the eBooks or booking me for other speaking engagements. So I don't always see myself as an artist, but I, but I definitely, I think the, I think the place where it makes me feel the most awkward is having to post all kinds of pictures on of myself every day. And then, and every day it's not a picture of me, I should clarify. But another thing that I'm really proud of is the Instagram account for the podcast every single day, seven days a week, I put something up mm -hmm. and that's something that, it's almost a challenge of mine that I don't want to say I cheat, but a lot of times to help myself out, I will start an informal calendar, so to speak, where it's just for that Instagram account. And I'll say, oh, I can put this up on Monday. And then actually Tuesday, I just need to put up XYZ because Wednesday is the new episode. So I'll post that. And when it's pictures of me, it does make me a little uncomfortable. I learned actually from one of my guests that it's really better to make it as personal as possible. People know that it's my podcast. And so I used to sort of make the posts very corporate where I would kind of talk about myself in the third person. And now if you follow at now hear this entertainment on Instagram, you see that it's me talking to whoever's looking at okay. the posts. And I still do it in such a way. Like it was really great to see Aaron Hoagland at the NAM show in California it was right at the same time that his podcast episode had just come out. So I was really thrilled by the timing of getting to see him face to face. So I'm, I'm doing it conversationally as opposed to here is our show host mm -hmm. at the NAM show in California where he was able to talk to. It's like, OK, like people aren't going to get the warm and fuzzy that way. So. I still don't view it as, look at me, I'm an artist. I just view it as, hey, here's what I did. Yeah. And remember this person who was on the podcast, I got to meet up with them. And I think that's one thing um, about podcasts specifically is that you, whoever is hosting the podcast or the, the people behind the podcast really do want to foster a personal relationship with the listeners. It's like one of the few mediums where I think you um, you feel like you're friends with the person that you're listening to and you kind of get to know them a little bit through the show. Um, out of curiosity, when you were at Nam, did you see a guy named the Fallbrook Kid playing guitar at all? I don't know the name. At the same time, it doesn't mean that I didn't 
you know, yeah. spot him and and not know who it was. He's like a 16 or 17 year old kid with really long hair, but he just shreds on guitar. He's called the Fallbrook Kid. And, um, shout out a, to there's him. A, there's a kid who is, uh, I want to say 19, real, real, when I say big, I mean tall, wide shoulders. Um, he's got this, this red kind of, I'll say curly hair, but... His name is Chase Walker, and I interviewed him last summer in Nashville, and Shreds also. Yeah. He's been in Guitar Player Magazine, I believe. He's, I think he was on one of the reality shows. I'm supposed to know this, uh, either American Idol or The Voice. And um, it's amazing. You know, I, I sort of made a rule not too long ago. When I say not too long ago, I'll say maybe within the last 10 months where I said, that's it, no more like 16 year old girls who you know big deal she had one song on radio disney yet at the end of january <laughs> this is 2019 and it's actually the episode of my podcast that's out right now as lee and i are recording this girl the day that we were recording was her 17th birthday wow and an amazing following she's been on american idol or i'm sorry She's been on America's Got Talent. She's been on The Voice. And when I say she's been on those, top 20 mm -hmm. on America's Got Talent and top six on The Voice. And she lives in California. She records in Nashville. She does voiceover work for like Disney, uh, for DreamWorks, for Nickelodeon. So this is someone that I say, okay, wait a minute. She might just be turning 17 the day I'm interviewing her, but oh my gosh, is this girl doing big things? Right. And I think people can draw inspiration from her and they can also learn some lessons from her because someone's going to listen to that and go, now, mind you, we didn't say her name on the, or her age rather. We didn't say her age on the air, but you could figure it out. Someone's going to listen to that who's 27 and say, well, if she could do that, I could do that. Right. So hopefully they will get inspired. <laughs> um, so, talking about those kind of shows, um, you might know about this just out of curiosity. What's the what's the benefit? Like, if you're just top 20, do you get... Is it you get paid while you're on there? Or you just get your name out there on a national level? Like, what's what's the benefit of doing multiple of those shows? And Well, okay, so, so my opinion from the Now Hear This Incorporated side is the benefit is it gets you... There's someone who gave me a compliment years ago about the way I work with my clients. And he said, you're not afraid to put your clients in uncomfortable positions. Mm -hmm. And so I think the benefit is if you're someone who is really comfortable and you're doing the same thing over and over and over in your local market, here's a great opportunity to not only step outside of that, but to get some constructive feedback from people who know what they're talking about. Right. You're not performing in some local contest where all the judges are sponsors who are telling every single participant that was really good right. and i love your outfit by the way good song choice i love that song you look good holding that, the core's light <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't help them so yeah. all of a sudden you go on american idol or the voice and they give you this constructive feedback where you say wow i mean this girl that i'm talking about that her name is brenly brown who's on my podcast right now she said that it helped her learn just about how to perform to the camera but mm. you know the other benefit is that yeah it, it gets your name out there in fact, I don't even really watch those shows, believe right. it or not. Yet, when I was told Brenly Brown will be there, I thought, why does that name sound familiar? So somehow, 
her name had gotten Just out the there enough. Just the consciousness of exactly, man. exactly. So it gets your name out there. Now a lot of it has to do with once you are done on the show, what do you do with that? Because you really, really, really have to strike while the iron is hot. If you don't jump on that right away and market the hell out of the fact that you're just coming off of The Voice or American Idol or America's Got Talent, you're going to very, very quickly just go right back into where you were as though it never happened. So it's not so much about getting paid, although if you win, and mind you, I'm talking pretty much have to come in first place, you know, over the many, many years of the many shows that there are, there are there are a couple of success stories out there of people who didn't win. So I really think it really is, hey, this is an opportunity to get national exposure, real good national exposure mm-hmm. that I'm otherwise not going to get. So if I'm good enough to keep getting put through round after round, I need to I need to go ahead with this. I know I've talked to lots and lots of people on my podcast who have been on American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent, and The X Factor who have said what you see on TV, it's not, I don't know why they call it a reality show. It's not reality. Yeah. It's very, I mean, it's a television show and they're trying to get ratings. So there is that part to it. But if you can withstand all that, there can be some benefits to you. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this the people who are on The Voice, six years ago that are still talking about, oh, I'm so-and-so, I was on the voice. It's like, yeah, you and hundreds of other people by this point, if if six years later you don't have some good accomplishments within the last six months or 12 months to talk about, you need to make some big changes that that you're still hanging on to something that happened six years ago. It's funny. I remember there was, there was a guy on American Idol a long time ago when I was, when I was way younger and he came in like maybe fourth or fifth or something, but then his brother started touring as I'm the brother of that guy that was on wow. American Idol. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny what people people will do. That's uh, different. Yeah, I, I ask because it seems like lots of people do multiple of those shows after they book one, almost like it's a a circuit or something like that, or a. Uh, industry accepted stepping stone or something so i just wanted to kind of hear the nitty-gritty of that as someone has talked to him um also as far as your guest goes it seems like you talk to a pretty wide variety of um success like uh just going through your website i think i saw one of the guitarists for aerosmith yep um the trumpet player for billy joel and then not to mention uh I'm, what was her name that you were just talking about? The uh, Brenly Brown. Brenly Brown, and then you know people just in between everywhere. So, wow. did did you ever think starting the podcast that you'd be talking to as big of names as you've kind of got in contact with? Well, it's funny. I've had a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, two Grammy Award winners, a Las Vegas headliner, three Emmy Award winners, and some of them, believe it or not. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, he started following me on Twitter. Hmm. And all of a sudden, this light bulb went on in my head where I thought, well, now I don't, I don't see these emails come in anymore. So I'm I'm wondering if something changed with Twitter. But they used to send you an email every time you got a new follower. It would say, so-and-so is now following you on Twitter. So I dug around on the internet and came up with this guy's email address. I clicked reply 
on that email from Twitter saying that he was now following me. And then I changed who the email was going to so it wouldn't go back to Twitter and wrote to him and said, hey, so-and-so, thanks so much for following me on Twitter, parentheses, see below. And then I said, I would actually love to interview you on my show. Nice. Now here's this entertainment, blah, blah, blah. But no, I, I never thought that I'd be talking to people at that level. The first guest ever on Now Hear This Entertainment was somebody who was on The Voice that I think she finished top 48, but I knew her. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, well, boy, this will be a good start coming right out of the gate with somebody who was on The Voice. And it was very timely. She had just finished right. in the top 48. But it was also, okay, thanks. I don't want to say here's a warm body, but I need to get some people <laughs> in here that I can breathe and say, okay, exhale, Bruce. You've got enough people that you'll be able to get this going. But even though she had been on The Voice and the guest on episode three was on American Idol, I kind of thought that's about as far as I'll go. I didn't mm -hmm. really see myself getting to the point where, you know, in November, it was like end of October, beginning of November, I was in LA and I was sitting in the office of an agency who represented a Hollywood producer director. And I interviewed him because they contacted me wow. and said, we have this client who blah, blah, blah. And I thought that's a little bit off the beaten path for me. I don't typically interview those types of guests, but it's too good of an opportunity to pass up. It is entertainment and you never know what else might come of it. But, you know, when you ask that question though, did you ever think you'd be interviewing these kind of people? I have had one guy locally who will ask me from time to time, it's great that you've interviewed the trumpet player for Billy Joel or the drummer for Joe Walsh or the lead guitar player for Garth Brooks. And then he'll say, but when are you going to interview Billy Joel himself right. or Joe Walsh himself or Garth Brooks himself? And I say, you know, I don't know that I want to interview those people because the types of questions that I ask what am I going to say to Billy Joel? Hey, Billy, how are you getting booked at such good venues? Why do you sell like, at Madison Square Garden um, every month? I don't know, <laughs> because I'm Billy Joel yeah. and it just happens automatically. You know, so the guy who plays over and over and over every weekend at some local restaurant or bar or club that says, I don't like always playing at these same small restaurant bars and clubs. I want to get booked in better venues. He's not going to be able to learn from Billy Joel because Billy Joel or Garth Brooks or Joe Walsh are going to say, I don't know, man. Is this a real question? Yeah. I have booking agents that do that. Look at my resume. Where where do you think I should be playing? I'm insulted by the question. So when he asks me that, I think it might be neat. You know, I am coming up on the five-year anniversary, or maybe when I hit episode 300, it might be cool to have, you know, Britney Spears as the guest just because, oh my gosh, I got, you know, a world-renowned headliner right. on my show, but I don't think I would all of a sudden say... Hey, Brittany, can you introduce me to Christina Aguilera? And then, hey, Christina, can you introduce me to Mariah Carey and just convert com completely convert over? I mean, I would start a brand new show before I would make this big about face on a show that uh -huh. for five years has been what it has been. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you were what you were mentioning earlier about your relatability uh, for the show and maybe your target audience like the. The trumpet player for Billy Joel. I just saw Billy Joel in concert like three weeks ago or something like that in Orlando. It was pretty great. And if it was the same trumpet player, it's pretty mind blowing. <laughs> but but that's a, that that guy. He's a uh, you know he's a he's a 
technical trumpet player. He's he's not the star of the show. He's there to enhance the show. He's there to play the part that was written for him, kind of thing. So, I, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a cool aspect to keep it within like you, you know working professionals, I guess. But I will say this. So somebody gave me a compliment one time. I used to record my show at a recording studio before I got my own setup. And he would sit there and record me week after week. And he said, you know, it's the biggest compliment that I hear about your show. And I looked at him and said, what? He said, every week I sit here and I listen to these guests say to you, wow, that's a really good question. And then they think of their answer. Or at the end of the interview, when you thank them and you're about to sign off, they say, thank you, Bruce. You ask really good questions. He said, I think that's a huge compliment because they're acknowledging that they're not used to getting such good questions. They're used to answering the same thing over and over. So as it relates to if I were to ever get the opportunity to interview Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Mariah Carey, people like that, I think I could probably come up with some stuff that they would say, wow, Mm. I actually I actually have to think about that. I interviewed Aileen Quinn. She played Little Orphan Annie in the 1982 movie Annie. And she has a band appropriately entitled Aileen Quinn and the Leapin' Lizards because Little Orphan Annie would always say, Leapin' Lizards. Mm. And so when I did the interview with her, I really wanted to make it all about her music because I thought she's probably so sick and tired of being asked questions questions about Annie all these years later. But I did say to her, what is something in all your years of being asked about Annie that interviewers rarely ask you that you wish that they would and she said wow that's a really great question thank you for thank you for asking that and she said you know and then she went on and gave her answer so i kind of i kind of came about it from a rather vague approach Mm -hmm. but yet she still understood the spirit with which i was asking it and she appreciated it right and she happily answered it as opposed to me saying what was that like being a kid and you know it's like oh my gosh you're not the first one to think of that especially all these you know 35 years after the movie came out awesome um okay so going forward for me no knowing that i have this is the fourth episode in what what do you think is going to be like the um the the biggest thing that i could know going forward about producing and editing and hosting and everything like that the podcast well i think initially a podcaster really needs to know what their show is who their audience is, why they're doing the podcast, who they're trying to appeal to. When I was giving this talk recently called The Power of Podcasting, I was telling people, you know, how you can really strengthen your brand and expand your reach. And I said, if you're going to do a podcast just for the sake of doing it, because it seems like the thing to do, then don't bother doing it. You Mm -hmm. have to really want to. You really have to have the desire And I said, but then you have to get the idea for it. And then once you have the idea for it, you have to niche that down because there's so many podcasts out there now that it's pretty much a long shot for you to come up with an original idea that no one else is doing. So 
don't get discouraged when you do find out that other people are doing the same thing as you. Just say, okay, what is going to be different about mine, though? Why would people want to hear me talk about the exact same thing that someone else is already talking about? What do I do differently? And I joked, but it's true. Sadly, it could just come down to something as simple as you, you used the word relatability before. Mm-hmm. It could be something as simple as I don't like the sound of this person's voice. And so they may say, I'm not going to listen to this one because I don't like the host or the hosts, plural, if there's co-hosts. And so they're going to listen to another one. So I think, you know, going forward, it's really, why do I do novelty drive? What am I trying to accomplish with it? Who are the listeners? And to not get hung up on stats, because there's two things, two mistakes that people make when they first get into podcasting. One is they just continually check their stats wanting to see how many downloads they're getting, which it's going to take a while. So don't even bother. And number two is they want to know, how am I going to monetize this? And if that's the only reason that you're getting into it, then don't even bother because that's going to take a long time. You just really need to build some momentum. People need to see a commitment, a body of work and say, okay, this person is legit. They're really sticking with it because the number right now is that there's 600,000 podcasts on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts. Approximately a third of them are active. Mm -hmm. So that means that out of 600,000 podcasts, approximately 400,000 of them are still sitting there, but they're not producing new episodes anymore. So I think people want to see that someone is really committed to doing the show that they tell them that they're going to do. The other podcast of mine that I do that we haven't talked about is called Taskcam Talkback, which is a podcast for podcasters and streamers. And that comes out every other week, but we've done it for a year and a half now. So it's the same thing. It's a a major global company, Tascam, who makes all this recording equipment in the audio industry. But it's still, okay, if you're telling me you're going to do a podcast, I don't want to say I'll believe it when I see it, but it's what have you done for me lately? Great, you put out your first episode. Great, you put out your second episode. But are you still going to be here in four months and in six months and in eight Mm -hmm. months? So when people see that, okay, this is something that this person is obviously committed to doing. I think they're more likely to invest their time in it as opposed to uh, this person person put one out, then they put one out two weeks later, then they waited a month to put out their third one, and then they put the next one out. Through, you know, they're they're really not sure if it's something you're going to be committed to. So they tell themselves, why should I be committed to it? So you really haven't formed that bond mm-hmm. with the listener enough for them to say okay, I'm going to hit the subscribe button, right. which you know is, is valuable real estate to a podcaster. <laughs> awesome. That was a great answer um, to a question that I maybe should have saved for last, but that's okay. Um, you have, have, have you had vocal coaching or have you worked extensively on your, on your broadcasting voice? Because you have, list, listening to your show, your, your voice and your tone of voice and your warmth in your voice, is, it's very ear-friendly. It's nice to listen to. Have you, have you worked on that? Thank you. Well, I will say that since I have started recording on my own, and by the way, this is in no means any statement on the sound that I used to get when I did it at the recording studio, because in fact, <laughs> and I'm going to answer your question in a minute, but when I first launched Now Hear This Entertainment, I used to get compliments on the sound quality mm-hmm. of my podcast which I thought that's nice to hear, but how about some commentary on how I'm doing as <laughs> yeah. the host? Instead, and, st- and, and I would tell them it better sound good. I go to a recording studio. Right now, I have this great Tascam TM280 microphone that I prefer because of the low end on it. So I think it does bring that warmth to my voice. 
But on the broadcast side, I've done TV, radio for a number of years. So switching over to podcasting to me was just another form of broadcasting. So because I'd spent so many years in TV and radio and actually broadcasting on the internet as well, it was just a natural progression for me. So I've never had formal voice training. At the same time, I was a media communications major in college with an emphasis on broadcasting. So I've always been kind of somebody who has a sweet spot, who has found their sweet spot there, even though it's not my main vocation. Okay. Um, One of the things that I want to explore in the guests that I have that um, I think contributes maybe to people's overall success in different aspects of their life, and if you're not comfortable talking about it, we can just cut all this portion out or whatever, is um, they're the kind of like personal philosophy or spiritual practices, religious beliefs. Do you, Is there something that you keep at the core of your, um, I don't know, at the core of your personality as you interact with people in the business world and in the podcast world? Well, number one, As I said earlier, that I'm someone who's very committed to what I do. So as a result, I always want to be the best that I can at whatever I'm doing. My mom always used to say, reach for the stars. And so I'm always aiming for as high as I can get with whatever I'm doing. And therefore, I'm not afraid to put myself in places where I could get a no Mm -hmm. answer meaning as opposed to a yes answer, not a lack of reply. And so I kind of take this, I don't want to say take no prisoners attitude, but but more of a, a no fear approach because I always tell myself the worst that can happen is they say no, or I guess the worst that could happen is I just don't hear back from people, which does happen a lot of times. And then you get into, uh, is it because my email went to their spam or is it because they're not interested right. or whatever the case, they didn't even open it. But You know, I think that as a person, and and earlier when we talked about viewing myself as an artist, I feel that when I'm interviewing people that they're talking to Bruce Wozniak, the individual, not Bruce Wozniak, the podcast host, or the owner of Now Hear This Incorporated, because I view these people as potential contacts for me. Some of them end up becoming friends, and so... I think when they see how genuine I am and that I truly care about what they're saying, Mm -hmm. like I said earlier about that, I'm really in tune to what the guests are telling me. I think that goes a long way. When I did my presentation recently, which I said was called The The Power of Podcasting, I spoke with somebody afterwards who was one of the attendees. And she said, I could just tell by your nature as you were talking that you're a Christian and that you're passionate about what you do and that you care. And so for me to just be able to, my spiritual director once told me, just be Bruce and let people see Jesus in you. Mm -hmm. So I think that my approach to everything that I do is consistent and it just brings out who I am naturally. And even though it might be in a business environment, I think people end up deciding Maybe it's subconsciously, this is somebody that I want to do business with because of who he is and not necessarily what he's quote unquote selling. So do you think that the, um, 
the the base set of morality or you know do-goodery that comes along with the christian faith is uh do you think it yields better results ultimately in a business like this or do you think it's um it just yields results that you're more happy with at the end of the day well i'll i'll answer the question by just giving you an example of something that happened the local newspaper ran a column about me and an attorney saw it and wrote me an email and said, I saw the newspaper story and there's a band that I have to connect you to. They need your help. So I thought, fine. Okay. So he makes this connection. We agree to meet in person and these guys show up at the meeting and they were dressed really sloppily. They, I don't want to say seemed like they didn't want to be there. But they weren't excited and dialed in. The attorney himself, never mind these couple of band members, were using profanity, mm-hmm. just sitting around before we even really rolled up our sleeves to talk business. And I already told myself, this is not the kind of person that I want to do business with and not the type of people that I want to be associated with. So I knew that that came from who I am. And other people would say, well, you passed up potential business. And my name is on the business, so I'm not going to chase a paycheck just for the sake of having that income source when it could potentially be very damaging to my personal reputation and my business's right. reputation. Okay, so it's more it's it, it's a lot about what you want your your personal brand kind of to be attached to. Like, okay, um, I think I've pretty much touched on everything that I want to touch on. We've been talking for. Just about an hour, maybe a little bit less now. Um, is there anything happening around the country in the Tampa area, anything like that with any of your, you, your clients, your business, anything like that that you want to um, get out there? I don't know when this episode will come out, but March 7th, 8th, and 9th in Orlando will be PodFest Multimedia Expo, which this is the fifth year for that and I'll be speaking at that and then I'll also be facilitating a panel and it's just a lot of fun because okay. close to a thousand people go to that from not only around the country but I think something like 13 different countries people travel from to go to it so it's fun to be around other podcasters because mm-hmm. they can relate to what you're talking about but it's also a great learning exercise so I love being able to get that education Beyond that, I think the other exciting thing that's coming up for me personally is I was in Los Angeles at the end of January, and because I've mentioned a couple times as we've been talking that I do view these guests on my podcast as potential contacts for me, there was someone that I had interviewed in November, and she was living in New York at the time, and she said, well, I'm moving to Los Angeles January 1st. I thought, wow, that's impressive. How cool. And I said, we should meet mm-hmm. when I'm out there at the end of January. She said, yeah, let's do that. So I set a lunch meeting with her and she's texting me saying, I'm on my way. I'm running a little late. I apologize, but I'll see you shortly. I said, okay, great. Then she texts back and says, and I'm bringing with me the CEO of my record label. I thought that the nice. two of you might like to meet. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange when she and I have never actually met face to face. And all of a sudden she's bringing someone else. But, oh, well, you know, who, who am I to say don't do that? Mm-hmm. 
So she shows up with this guy, and once he started warming up to me and started telling me about this amazing music conference that he had done last year with people who spoke at it that were top, top, top-level people in the music industry. We're talking CEOs, networks, record labels, publishers, things like that. I thought, wow, when he first started talking about it, I was going to see if I could throw my hat in the ring and be a speaker, but I'm not at the level that these people are. By the time the meeting finished, he said, Bruce, it's really been great talking to you. I really like all that you're doing. He said, I want you to come and be a speaker at that conference here in LA in June. So I thought, wow, look at that. So it's the power of podcasting because... If I didn't have my podcast, I would have never met that girl. I would have never had that lunch with her, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't have met him. And now, all of a sudden, here I am being invited to speak at a music conference in Los Angeles that's going to have some real powerful people as speakers, not to mention an audience of the very people that I'm trying to get to listen to my podcast and to buy my ebooks and you know potentially hire me to promote them. Okay. So, yeah, so PodFest in March, and then uh, that event in June. Are, are a couple of things that I'm really excited about. Awesome. Um, I know it sounded like I was about to wrap up, but do you have a couple more minutes? I just had sure some sure. more. It's more uh, some more uh, Christian centric questions again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that you were listening to the Mountain Holler episode. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the full thing or whatever, but he's he was. We were talking about his spirituality and his practices and stuff like that and a lot of them are just like practicing you know um intentionalizing yeah intentionalizing all of your actions to get a desired result or um you know visualizing what you want and having it happen um is has there been moments in your in your career or with your journey podcasting where you've felt um kind of like a higher power or something or were things just aligned in a way that was so synchronistic that it was almost like, Oh, of course, uh, something is manipulating this outside of me. I think I struggle with being stubborn versus is this what is intended for me to do the, the dogged persistency with putting out a new episode on time every week for five years you know, and people could say, has it been worth it? Where has that gotten you? And I think I am so dedicated to it that I don't stop and say, is this really what I'm intended to be doing? Now, granted, it's not the only thing that I'm doing. At the same time, when you do get to interview the drummer for Casting Crowns, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, he really kind of fell into my lap. It was really amazing the way that happened. And, you know, even though... They then came to Tampa, he got us tickets backstage, blah, blah, blah. And you say, well, that doesn't help your business anyway. No, but it was cool. And it was nice. It was nice fellowship. Right. You know, and so I think more so than anything, Lee, what I have seen is some of those little things. And and maybe I'm only realizing this now in the moment as you and I are speaking, that maybe it was God kind of saying, you know, that he likes the work that I'm doing. And so here's, I don't want to say a little reward, but here's a moment that you're really going to bond with someone through me. And so whether it's the drummer for Casting Crowns or whether it's Lindsay McCall, who I chose to be on episode 100 because I had had such a great experience with her back when I interviewed her for episode 11, I thought, 
wow, this this girl is truly a gift from God in the sense that she has a wonderful singing voice. She has a wonderful ministry with her songwriting, but she's also a gift to me because she was just somebody that I really needed to meet at that point in my life. And I did get, she opened for Brandon Heath uh, and Mandisa was on that tour also. So I went to that show and was able to go and meet her beforehand. And then they came back around again another time. And she might've been on tour with maybe Matthew West at the time, but I really got to actually have some quality sit-down time hanging out with her. And then she came around and did one more show that I don't want to say I surprised her because that is kind of sounding like get over yourself. But in other words, she didn't know I was coming to the show and sat in the front row. And she actually like spotted me at one point during the show when the pastor of that church had gotten up on stage to talk to everyone. And so she's just standing there nicely letting him do his thing. And all of a sudden she looked over and she saw me in the front row and just kind of like opened her eyes kind of wide, like, oh my gosh, Bruce, and just gave this, you know, very discreet little wave where I thought, oh, that's really kind of neat. But then afterwards, you know, oh my gosh, she had a big hug for me kind of thing. And so I just think, you know, thank you, God, that it's it's nice to see people like this come along that truly are who you think they are and they're so genuine. And so I'm going a long way to say that I think maybe that's his way of saying, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you, you know, awesome. and, and, and this is, and this is good that you're doing. I, I do kind of get a little discouraged once in a while when I try to get a Christian guest because I fool myself into thinking that because they're doing Christian music, they should automatically say yes uh-huh. to doing my podcast. And when I get a no, or I don't hear back from anybody, I don't know how to feel about that because I think, well, I just told you that the drummer for Casting Crowns has been on my show, and so has Johnny Diaz, and mm-hmm. so has Ellie Holcomb. And, you know, these are all big names in contemporary Christian music. So, you know, I think to myself, why wouldn't you do it? But that's where I have to separate it and realize it's a business. And for whatever reason, it doesn't fit with their schedule. Or your your email might have gone to their spam <laughs> <Yeah>. folder. <laughs> so many factors that could have played in. Um, my closing question... It's more of a request, really. Uh, it's one of the things that I've been trying to do to tie all the different episodes together. I try to do the same thing at the end where um, I'm just going to ask you, as you, which you already have done by being on the show. It sounds so preachy. I'm trying to think of a less preachy way to nail the question on the head. Um, but as you go like about your life or whatever, I'm, I'm just... just uh, if you if there's an opportunity to just positively affect one person because they crossed paths with you as opposed to someone else with nothing to gain, uh, that's I'm just asking you to do that after this if, if the oh, opportunity absolutely. pops up. Absolutely, and and there's people that, in fact, today we're going to drive three hours over to the other coast of Florida to see my best friend who I had taken her in. And we, even after all these years, we still call each other Rumi. We'll text each other, hi, Rumi. And it has just really touched my heart that she has told me, like, it just meant the world to me to the point where if I let myself, I might get choked up right now. (laughs) But my birthday is at the end of September. And so you and I are recording this right now in February. So I guess that was five months ago, maybe four and a half months ago, and it was my birthday. She put up a post on her own 
Facebook or Instagram and then has the two accounts connected, whatever. But it was a post about me and said, those of you that know me know how special this guy is to me and what he did for me and the fact that he took me in at a time when yada, yada, yada. And I'm not looking for the thanks. It just really does my heart so good to know that I did have some sort of positive impact on Mm -hmm. her because I always say that like we were the odd couple. I mean, to see this house and me being Felix, who was very neat and everything had to be in order and her being Oscar where her room, you would think that a bomb just blew (laughs) up in there and two very different lifestyles. Yet now we're best friends that that just means the world to me. And I'm somebody that I don't hesitate to tell people who I love that I love them. Mm -hmm. And I always say I will never apologize because I know that there's people out there that get kind of weirded out by hearing I love you. And I'm never going to apologize for that because I don't want to go to my grave not having done that and held back for fear that it might make people uncomfortable. I'd rather people say he was so loving and Mm -hmm. he gave so much love. You know, I've been blessed with two stepchildren since I got married and those two kids I think have heard, and I'm sorry, I, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I think they've heard I love you from me in the f- almost five years that I've been in their life more than they heard it. You can understand what I'm implying there in all the years prior because I do love them so much and I want them to know how much I love them and I don't hesitate to do it. If they're uncomfortable because they're not used to hearing it or they're not used to hearing it as much as I say, I can't I can't change that part of me. God has blessed me with a really special heart. And so I just have this tremendous capacity to give love and I'm not going to not do that. So when you ask me to positively impact somebody, I think, give me something difficult to do. <laughs> awesome. Beautiful answer. Um, this has been great, Bruce. Thank you so much. Uh, Bruce Wozniak, everybody. The podcast is now Hear This Entertainment Podcast, and www.nhte.net is his website, uh, and you'll find him on Instagram under at now hear this. Yeah, just go and, to nhte.net, okay. and there's social media icons there for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Awesome, and uh, I'll have the link in the description as well. All right, thanks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Bruce Wozniak. Um, I think we just ended the episode with all the links and everything that you need to find him. Boom. For the third time this episode, I'm mentioning that I'm going to have the links in the description, which makes me feel like a super official podcast extraordinaire. That's it, guys. Thanks a lot for listening. Um, I have another interview lined up right near the end of this month, so I'll get this one up and then... um, There should be less of a break between this one and the next one, so I'm really looking forward to that. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Drive Novelty. If you want to find me on Instagram, it's at Novelty Drive. Look for the three-eyed wiener dog. Um, That's it. Take it easy, y'all. Did boom just become my catchphrase?